0: thanks hello everybody how we doing this texas evening as we get settled i'd like to take a moment and settle into an even deeper place and i'll invite you to put both of your hands in the center of your chest right on your heart And just take a couple deep, easy breaths into that area. And notice, if you will, that something other than just you is generating the bump that you feel in there. And perhaps express inside a moment of gratitude for the unseen hand that's putting that energy in your body and giving you life. And think of a moment in your past wherein you were with someone for whom you hold a deep, unconditional love. And just feel that in your body, all of that love. And if you could turn your hand into a mirror, reflect that love that you feel and that you felt for the other, and just radiate it back to yourself. And remember that that love you feel for them is the same love that you feel for yourself because you are them. Let's take another deep breath. And just exhale any and all stress, excitement, and anxiety out of your body and give yourself a little shake. Shake your booty. Ah, thank you. Man, it's cool to see all of you folks. All the diehards that are still here on Sunday evening, when you're doing the thing at the end of a thing, you never know who's going to be around. I'm like, God damn, cool, man. So we'll be talking about how to not be a victim of shedding. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I would like to know, though, if anyone's got any protocols. (laughs) No joke. Oh, Lord, man, what a crazy ass world we live in. I mean, what a time to be alive. Could we just take in the magnitude of this moment in history? I mean, humankind has never, ever, ever experienced the things that we're experiencing now. In, in the most positive sense, on one side, and also sometimes in the most confusing and, uh, at the very worst, terrifying. You know, it's just, it's just a wild time to be alive. I don't have to tell you guys that. Uh, but within this room is a collective consciousness of people who are unified by the value of freedom... And by the value of love and personal responsibility. We got ourselves here. We're doing the thing. We could be sitting at home freaking out on telegram. <laughs> Which is probably what I'd be doing. <laughs> at least some of the day. I know. Kelly's like, stop get off. You're still on looking at Telegram. Like I have a telegram channel, I kinda have to. Lots of doom scrolling. So I'm just really pleased to be here. I'm just sending all of you love and appreciation for being, you know, the folks in the world that are going to create the future that that we want and that we deserve, that is our birthright. So thank you. I honor you. And you all, you four beautiful souls, let's get down. I want to know how one can apply personal responsibility in their life, as a means by which to evade the sense of being victimized. What can we each do in our own lives, even when the external world might very much look like we're being victimized? And I'll start with you, Kelly, since you're sitting close to me.
1: Like a seven-hour workshop on the subject. I love the subject, and there's like a rubric that I've been working with. I don't know if this might be helpful. So I like alliteration. So I use this rubric, feel it, face it, free it. And the phrase that you can remember is enter through the upset. So when you feel upset, that's pretty easy to identify, right? So when you feel upset, you're going to enter. You're not going to go out on Telegram and sort the world out in the way that only you know how. You're going to enter through the upset, and the first commitment that you have to yourself, which at least for me was the mo- and remains, I would say, the most difficult practice that I engage is committing to simply feel the sensations, right? So you can set a timer for 30 seconds to start, maybe even 20, and you literally just stop what you're doing. So let's say you get the shitty email you scroll and you see the triggering thing. Or, you know, you're with your partner and he does the thing and you feel your somatic sequence, you feel that, that you know, clench in your chest and the heat up your neck or whatever it is in your body, you're going to stop everything. And for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, you're just going to track and be with the sensation. No story. You're not journaling. It's not that kind of party. So you're just going to be with the sensation and you're just going to commit to care enough to attend to it. So the masculine gift within each of us, I think is attention. Whereas you're going to offer that masculine gift to your feminine. You're going to offer your attention to your sensations. There are all sorts of ways you could engage that feeling. You know, you can dance it out, you can punch it out, you can do all sorts of creative things. But I actually think this is, if you just commit to prioritizing feeling it, you've come a long way. And then in the face it, there is the play of mirroring, right? So this is where shadow work comes in. This is where um, inquiry comes in, right? So what is the meaning making here? What am I saying about what I'm upset about? Like, he just never thinks about me. He's so self-centered. And he just really is like, ultimately, like, I don't know, maybe he's a narcissist, right? And you're going to consider the possibility that this upset is introducing you to this disavowed and rejected part of yourself that holds the same qualities, right? Like one of the, one of the things that really triggers me often is incompetence, right? Like when people like don't do something that I could do better, right? I often think I know how to do something better, even when I have zero expertise <laughs> and I actually don't, I have the feeling like I could help somebody do something better than they're doing it right? So if I'm triggered by somebody else's inefficiency or incompetence, often that's an opportunity for me to consider the possibility that I have not given myself permission to be incompetent in this life. And for good reason, because I've been conditioned to believe that I would be punished or there would be consequences and that that dimension of me is not welcome. So I have to curate this performative version of Kelly and it gets really exhausting, right? So if I have the opportunity to meet that incompetent, lazy, stupid, you know, inefficient part of me and consider just consider interacting with her for a moment, then my whole experience of this like shitty dynamic or this interaction with this person who's upsetting me becomes a portal to myself. And then there's free it, right? So I love and I've worked with, you know, women in the space in the past 2 years who teach, you know, we teach each other how to make art out of our pain, right? So I uh, went through a window where I was experiencing a lot of shame around the feedback that I was getting about like, my choice to like, share you know, my journey and, I don't know, like dance in a bikini on a pole on Instagram, whatever. And I, um, I realized there were a lot of comments that gave me that, that big upset in my body, and I felt a lot of shame, like I'd made a big mistake, I'd embarrassed myself. Um, But I wanted to retaliate and I wanted to tell these women, you know, why I was right for doing what I'm doing and why they're so small minded and like, you know, repressed and they just like, don't get it. And here I'm going to school them on how to be a woman. And so at a particularly like peak troll wave, um, I decided that rather than, you know, like journaling my upset or writing. I, I never really engage on Instagram like that, but writing this retaliatory piece, even in my mind, um, or even like being with the part of me that agrees with them. Right. Cause nothing ever upsets us unless we ultimately and fundamentally agree with the person who is saying the critical thing. So being with the part of me that agrees with them that I've made a mistake and I'm not womaning. Right. Um, what I decided to do was like make, a little video. I told you this yesterday, like make a little funny. And I recorded a funny video where I'm like pole dancing, right? And then I get boos from the audience, but I, I found like a boo sound <laughs> that I could put on this video. And then I get off the pole and I get my clipboard out and I'm going to like take notes on how everyone thinks I should be. Okay. So I'm, I want to know, what do you think I should be doing? What do you think I should be doing? Tell me, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And so I'm like taking all the notes. And then by the end of the video, I'm in a burqa and i got a white coat on and i got my glasses on my hair back and i got tape over my mouth and i'm on my computer right so it's just sort of like the absurdity of our um our sense that we ever have a chance of remaining in a state of approval right with regard to others' perspectives, and really playing with it. Like, how can you free it? How can you make art out of it? How can you dance your shame? How can you, like, turn it into a parody? How can you express it in a way that is different from the, I hate this, I can't believe this is happening to me, you know, why am I in this pattern again, like, you know, victim story. So that arc, I find, for me, is, is like a very um, helpful framework.
0: Beautiful. What about you, Robinson? Personal responsibility is a means by which to overcome a victim perspective.
2: Uh, I like what she said about not getting offended. I mean, that's a big one. But I want to take responsibility for everything, me personally. So I just make everything my fault. So I don't give anybody else my power. So like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was getting the nail in the same tire four weeks in a row. And I was convinced that somebody was trying to sabotage uh, you know, my driving every day. But then I realized... I must be doing something. Because if I make it about somebody else, then I'm going to be overly cautious, overly paranoid, and I'm just walking around. So I said I must be doing something wrong. Guess what? I made sure to monitor everywhere I parked and everywhere I went, and guess what? No more nails. And so to me, I just make everything my fault because I want to be in control. I don't want to give my power away to anybody. So if something happens to me, it's not on somebody else, it's on me, because it's how I respond to it. And so I've learned through life that if I get offended by something, it's true. And Then I also learned that every critique about me is going to be true at some point in my life. So I can't even get mad when somebody's saying something because they either saw it in the past or saw it in the present or might see it in the future. So I just think not being offensive and taking ownership of, first of all, not perfect. So at the end of the day, if you get a nail in your tire, just monitor where you go and watch where you park and I guarantee the nails will stop.
0: Watch where you park. Great metaphor for life in general. <laughs> Inspect your parking spot before you pull in. I like. I could be applied in a lot of different situations. What about you, Albert?
3: Yeah, for me, I, I feel like it's um, reorienting around what is, right? Accepting that whatever is happening is happening for me. And even if it might seem like I'm being victimized by life in some way, I perpetuated this chain of energy and it's coming back to me in some way. So even if it feels like I'm being abused or this shouldn't be happening, I got to reorient around, okay, now this is happening for me. This is what is, I'm not going to deny reality, it's happening. And so what is in this experience for me to help me evolve as a consciousness, as a soul, not as like a separate identity, right, that can be offended by life, but as that intrinsic part of me that's here to evolve beyond my separate self my selfhood and so just allowing it to be grist for the mill of my own evolution and taking responsibility for it even if it seems like it's completely unrelated to me um yeah to really humble myself humility for me you know because there's a a lot a big part of my younger life where I did feel like a victim and i made it all about me and in that, I wasn't able to, to laugh at myself. Everything was such, a, such an offense. But coming back to that, the four agreements, right? Don't take anything personally. So to be able to take a step back and say, okay, what's the gold here for me? How is this trying to help me evolve? And it's, it's been wonderful. Yeah.
0: What about you, Don?
4: Oh, say something different from uh, the, as I was saying this morning, our language, we, the words that we use to be aware without without having to be uh, sort of, oh, I mustn't say this and I should say that. And again, that's that's the whole idea of what you are supposed to do, should do. Um, it's to really just be, be present with the language and to be curious about what you're doing to really sit with the words you're using and think, okay, that's okay, there's nothing wrong. And again, this is the whole concept of, like with the health system or the so-called health, the medical system that we're given labels and it's you've got this and it's bad and it's wrong and there's something you've got to do about something. And it's always the, the idea that you've got to change something. Now, that's not to say that we can have different experiences but the idea we've got to change something means there's something wrong with where you are at the moment and again like I said the sort of this morning of you know the um, everything will be all right to sit with that kind of concept of well why wait for it will be all right that suggests that there's something wrong with our now and it's again not to just sit there and just be so finicky about oh I've got to be careful what I say It is to be with the language you use and also how you feel about the words that you're using and how you sit with that and and if you feel that you're using language that is makes you feel like a victim just sit with that and, and not again not beat yourself up and think well what am I trying to tell myself because all our experiences are for us to learn something from and to really sit with trying to Get an idea of what what we're learning. And if it doesn't come to you, that's fine. You know, take some time out and maybe sleep on it and something will come to you the next morning. So you can get this concept of just losing our limiting beliefs, as I was saying this morning about limiting beliefs. They really can manifest all kinds of experiences and to recognize those experiences may be related to some some limiting ideas about who you are, what you are, and you think, just sit with it and think, okay, maybe I need to have a look at something just to be more aware, as I say, of, of what the words you're using and just just to be with it, just to see how you feel and be, be kind to yourself, love yourself. You know, think, oh, this is a great journey. I mean, this has been a fantastic weekend, a fantastic journey of being together and being... And I think that's the other point of being with people you feel safe and comfortable with means you can be, you don't have to be on your guard. And I think being on your guard puts you in a a tense situation and then that may well be reflected back to you. So again, it's, you know, being kind to yourself, loving yourself, and then your experiences will be, will feel a little bit different. And again... That doesn't mean that it's all going to be plain sailing because something else will present itself and you'll have a new experience. And to recognize them as experiences rather than I've done something wrong. And again, that puts you back into the victim. You know, if you think you've done something wrong, you think you're a victim.
0: Boom, love it. So I know some of you might think the life of a podcaster is easy but even I can get stressed out with work, travel, staying on top of my personal life, and just coping with this ever-wacky world of ours. That's why I wanna share with you one of the best ways I've found to relax and reduce stress in my life, using the Bond Charge Infrared Sauna Blanket. Bond Charge is an awesome company. They've got a huge range of wellness products that help you perform better, recover faster, reduce inflammation, the list is practically endless. And one of my favorite Bond Charge products is their infrared sauna blanket, man. It's the fastest, simplest way I've found to de-stress after getting off a plane, recovering from a workout, or finishing a marathon recording session like I often do. And here's a great travel hack for you. If I'm heading out of town, the blanket is super portable. I can just roll it up, throw it in the trunk, and boom. I've got an easy way to mellow out when I get to my destination. It sets up in less than a minute and heats up super fast. Now, lucky for you right now, they are offering listeners 15% off your purchase of this phenomenal product. Just punch in bondcharge.com slash lifestylist and use the code lifestylist to get your discount. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com slash lifestylist. And for you EMF mitigators out there, don't worry, you know I got you covered. They've tested their blanket against other leading brands and their EMF levels are one of the lowest on the market. You can find all those details and more at bondcharge.com slash lifestylist. And don't forget to use that code lifestylist to get your 15% off. All right. So many of us throughout our lives have probably had situations in which we felt victimized and then applied some self-honesty at some point later and accepted the truth that our behavior, our decisions put us in a position to be harmed, right? Speaking of that that responsibility. And in my own life, I would say most of the times I've had something to do with it based on my own selfish motives or ignorance or lack of discernment, et cetera. However, there are situations, particularly I think in childhood, where we are in a pretty black and white situation of being victimized through no fault of our own. How do we find in those situations reconciliation and even forgiveness for the perpetrators of harm? Anyone that feels excited about that question can jump in.
2: I'll just say um, in every situation, somebody has to be the bigger person. And I learned that dealing with my father. You know, my father wasn't who he was supposed to be in my life for many years. And then later on in my life, he was he changed his life and so i realized that i couldn't treat him how he treated me all those years because once i was older you kind of feel like you're in the parent position i guess and you look at i looked at him as like a child because he told me about his life and what he went through and so i kind of had sympathy and empathy whereas before i had a lot of resentment you know my dad used to coming to my games, drunk, making a scene, just like embarrassing, just doing everything I think he was doing it on purpose. Like, dude, stop doing it. Like, every time I had something, he was showing up. I'm supporting you. No, you're not. You're embarrassing me. But when I got older, I realized that, I'll tell you, my father called me up one day, and he was crying. And he was crying because I wouldn't talk to him. You know, I was giving him the silent treatment. You know, as a child, I realized... When I got my feelings hurt, I would give the silent treatment. I did it to my mom. It crushed her. I did it to my father, and it crushed him. And I realized that that's a power that I have over people that love me. And so how do I use that power? Do I abuse it or do I not use it because it's hurting people that I love? Even if I'm justified in giving the silent treatment, even if I've been done wrong, I know that that silent treatment hurts them more than what they're doing hurts me. And so to me, somebody has to be the bigger person. So why not me?
0: That one resonated. All right.
1: I love this question. I'm a big fan of Family Constellation. How many people have done Family Constellation before? Okay, so go onto the Google or pre-search or whatever you use and find it in your area because there absolutely will be one. It's not like some special spiritual ceremony uh, and explore the opportunity to see yourself in your perpetrators. So in Family Constellation, a lot of the theory is that there are exiles in your system, right? And an exile could be like a grandfather that... Cheated on your grandmother, and then the whole family, you know, disowned him. Or it could be a perpetrator, right? Like, let's say, you know, a babysitter molested you and your sister, and you and your sister have held the energy of like this bad person throughout your entire life. That's an exile. These exiles are a part of your system. An aborted baby is a part of your system. So, there are all sorts of energetic, um, entities that have to be organized back into your system. And part of the process of doing so is to look in the eyes of a representative of your perpetrator and to say literally and feel it. I see myself in you. I've literally done this exercise with like the pro-vax community, right? Like I've, I've sat with a representative of, you know, mandatory injections, let's say, and I will say, honestly, it's not that difficult for me because I was that person, right? So I'm rejecting that part of me. And if I can see myself in the perpetrator, in the abuser, in the one who did that to me, even as a child, um, then I can not only reclaim agency, compassion, connection, but I, I welcome that person into the system into which they already belong. Right? So The power in that is, is immense. And I'll just say like one word about like adult versions of victimization. um, And one of the most powerful ones, which is infidelity. I, um, I used to really reject TikTok. Like I was like all about my activism and thought it was like a source of all evil and whatever. And in softening a lot of my rejections, I'm on TikTok now. And I like, absolutely love it. Okay. I like actually love it. And I scroll in and I feel way better about humanity and I get inspired by like baby and cat videos and like sexy, exotic dancers. And it's just amazing. I feel better about humans when I spend five minutes on TikTok. Okay. So that's the preface, but I'm too old for it, right? Like I'm just not, I'm not the target audience, but I had one viral video on TikTok. Okay. And I got like a million views. And I was like, oh my God. And it was a whiteboard video that I did on the topic of infidelity. Because I, uh, I, I tell a story about how I had this experience in Austin of um, being like, like hit on, let's say, by two very married men, right? And it was just like I was spending time like moving around Austin. And it just happened twice. And it was like notable. And I, and I actually don't get hit on very often. And so it was notable. And I also had a friend who's, who's going through um, her husband's infidelity, right? And I had this opportunity to really look at, right? Because when, when I had this experience with these two dudes, I really, like, started to feel for their women, right? Like, I was like, oh, this sucks for their women, right? That they're, like, out here wedding band on, like, giving me an, uh, their card or whatever, And then I was exploring the situation that my girlfriend was going through and recognizing that the co-creative process, right, that we are a match for or that we are co-creating with our our worst experiences of the horrible shit that's happened to us Um, in this situation. And I can speak only really to man-woman relationships from, you know, experience, um, I talked about how it's my belief, not everybody agrees as usual, but it's my belief that when a woman loses respect for her man, for whatever reason, he's not taking care of himself, he's not on his mission, he's otherwise you know, sloppy in his energy, uh, when she loses respect for him, which could be even from the beginning of the relationship, right? So overtly she's choosing him, But really, she's not. Then he will source that respect, which is an essential currency, in my opinion, from woman to man, from other women, right? And it may be sexual. It may be platonic. It may be collegial. But he's going to source that from other women. And she may feel, ultimately, if she catches him or whatever, that he's done this horrible thing. But I prefer to believe that women have immense power, and that we plant a seed for these horrible things that happen to us, and that there is an opportunity then to maintain awareness of like your your role in a marriage, let's say, and your role um, to commit your enthusiastic energy to your man's reputation, to his um, to making as my as my t- teacher says to make him bigger, right? To make every man bigger, actually. And so that perspective, while it's like a tough pill to swallow, obviously, if you've just as a woman experienced infidelity, it also is how you take responsibility. It's how you remain in that sovereign place of understanding. I co-created the conditions for this to occur. So it's a symptom. It's a symptom of a dynamic. It's not something horrible that's happened to me. And we can apply that vigilant lens of how is it that, you know, I planted the seeds for this seemingly horrible thing to befall my life. It's a practice, right? And it's a a way to remain resilient around, you know, sometimes these cosmic two by fours that can come our way, right?
3: Lovely. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful articulation for me. uh, It requires awareness, Uh, awareness to recognize that, we're all doing the best we can, you know, given the experiences that we've had in life and feeling like a victim at a certain point does serve our evolutionary path. It served me for a time to be angry about being victimized and having that anger and that propelling me forward um, to find answers, to seek out resolution to feeling victimized that life was unfair somehow. Uh, But then, Coming to the point to recognize that I can only go so far on my own, that we do need each other in this process of our unfolding. And for me, um, being met with compassion, right? Finding myself into healing work, you know, feeling victimized by my father's absence and the stories that my mom was saying that my father's a a horrible person. He's just selfish. That's why he left her family, you know, adopting her view of him. And he was absent from my life uh, in and out from five to 11. And then they had a huge falling out at 11 and really left a vacuum in my life and, and feeling that void <clears throat> and feeling like a victim in some ways. But in my anger towards him and my judgment and condemnation of him and the man that I, I thought he was, um, adopting my mother's view of him, that led me on my own path of seeking out, of looking for surrogate father figures, of being victimized by them in varying ways. And finally coming to a point where, you know, I was I just so hurt that I had nowhere else to go but in, into the grief, into the pain of it. And it was in grieving and, 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 and following that thread of grief and just allowing myself to grieve that it created some spaciousness for me to see the light and feel the light in different ways. And it came came down to a fundamental reorientation of living in a void, of living in a random universe where everything just happens randomly, to being met with with the love of the creator, to being met by unconditional divine love when I was at my worst, at, at the bottom. And in that experience of receiving and experiencing that, that divine grace, when I felt so worthless and hopeless and, and that life, had no meaning, and it was just an awful shit show. Coming to that point of, of being receiving that grace and, and being met by God, it put the onus back upon me to now take responsibility for life because now that in my worldview, now I knew that God was real, God's perfect. There are no accidents. Everything happens for a reason, literally, like a, a very specific reason. And so if I'm a co-creator in this, And my thoughts are powerful. I have to take responsibility for how they come back to me. And so anything that's coming back to me, I get to reckon with and say, okay, this is something that I set in motion, maybe in a past life or maybe this life, but I get to meet this and allow it to grow me. Following that thread led me to people who were able to hold a compassionate space for me, that compassionate witness to really grieve even deeper. It just kept on going deeper. I thought I was like, I thought I already dealt with this stuff. Um, But meeting uh, my mentor who was able to really hold that healthy father archetype to allow me to be that wounded little boy that felt abandoned by his dad and unloved by his father to cry those tears and to be met by the love of my mentor, you know, to see his eyes of love beaming back at me as I was grieving, um, receiving this letter from my father. He wasn't able to, my father never apologized for anything he did. He didn't have the capacity to, he's just stunted but it came through another avenue. That healing came through another avenue as my awareness grew and as I allowed myself to receive. And so I feel like it's essential that we open ourselves up to asking for help. And for a long time, I didn't, I thought I could do it all alone. Even after I found God or God found me, I thought I could do it all alone. Um, but there's, this is a spiral path. And so at a certain point in the spiral, I, I felt safe enough. To receive. And in that receiving, um, I was able to go even deeper into the grief. And so I feel like once we're able to, to reckon with these deep childhood wounds, it com- comes back to our, our origin, you know, in this lifetime and maybe even beyond. But to hold that little boy, or that little girl, to have that spaciousness within us where we can really open up to receive the love that's all around us, that's within us and all around us. And it will come, you know, it'll come. It came for me and it'll come for all of us so long as we're open to receive. So, yeah, compassion, awareness, um, receptivity, and, and humility.
0: Getting older is just one of those things, man. It happens to the best of us, even your humble host. I'm about to turn 53 this year. Yikes. Now, what if I told you there was a way to hack into the aging process and fight back against age-related decline? MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition is a breakthrough postbiotic that activates your body's natural defense against aging. This stuff is clinically shown to trigger a crucial recycling process within our cells called mitophagy that promotes healthy aging. And it's the first product to offer a precise dose of something called urolithin A, which is a compound derived from pomegranate. 10 years of research shows that it upgrades mitochondrial function, increases cellular energy, and improves muscle strength. And you can get your daily dose three different ways. MitoPure's berry powder is great for your morning smoothie, which is my favorite personally. They've also got soft gels, which are convenient for travel. And finally, they're delicious. Vanilla protein powder combines muscle-building protein with the cellular energy of MitoPure to support strength in a brand new way. So here's what's up. Head over to timelinenutrition.com/slash luke. Punch in code luke10 to get 10% off any two, four, or 12 month Mitopure plan. Again, use promo code luke10 for 10% off any two, four, or 12 month Mitopure plan at timelinenutrition.com/slash luke. Have anything to add to that, Don?
4: It's interesting that. The two guys have had issues with their father because I had an issue with my mother. Um, without going into detail, I, well, okay, I, I have an older sister who was apparently, at three years old, apparently she was wonderful for the, for the first three years of her life and she changed on the day I was born. My mother told me this a couple of times, actually, and that left me with a, obviously a wound and thinking it was my fault that my sister was horrible because she she was a bit of a bully. But we are very different, and I knew um, I couldn't react, respond. There was a lot of anger in the house, and I I just, again, I knew somehow that it was wrong to just be, when you're angry, just to fire it out at somebody else. At the same time, I felt hurt, and I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew I can't be angry, so it left me with a, a space of loss of respect for my mother because of what she's told me when you kind of you know your mother's supposed to love you um again with where she was she was putting the always putting the blame out to someone else nothing was ever her fault so all these ideas I was sort of sitting with and holding for years a very very long time and still feeling I suppose resentful towards her and it took me a very long time because as a child I was quite often sort of on my own and feeling very very sad, very upset, very unloved, very alone. Another of the modalities that are available for looking, at, looking deeply inside is internal family systems, IFS parts work. And going through some sessions allowed me to go back and heal how I felt. And also to recognize that I can learn something from how my mother was. I could have sat there and remained a victim of whatever she said and take the blame and sit with it and go, oh, well, it's, yes, it's my fault. I, I did actually spend a lot of times um, many, many years saying sorry. And people get it's like, why are you saying sorry? It's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Because obviously I had this imprint that I was supposed to be sorry for having being born for existing yes i think i still do it occasionally maybe um it's it's not quite the same thing it's it but these these ideas can be so so deeply embedded that you can just feel this victim you can feel that there's something and when you learn that it's it's it wasn't my fault but also not to then shunt the blame oh well that was my mother's fault she did something horrible to me so make her responsible so it's it's again seeing it in a different way to just okay I've learned from that so it's about learning how I am it's not about how anybody else was that my sister was a bully my mother never took the blame for it never took responsibility I should say so it's really looking at that and thinking how can I learn from that what can I do with that how can I respond to that in a way that is um you know as as Blanchard said you know being responsible take the responsible way through how you feel so uh it's a path it's a journey um as somebody once said oh I'm a work in progress and I was like we're all a work in progress and that's great because there's always something to learn which for me is like really exciting it's like yeah loads more to learn so let's keep learning and like I was saying, with with our language and how we feel to really, you know, it's the kind of blame responsibility. Again, responsibility can sound like a burden and it's not if you see it in, from the right perspective. So just be aware and be, again, be kind and, and love yourself and know how you interact with people. And you might sort of say something that I wish I hadn't said that. And then just be aware, and just change it slightly. But again, this blame and responsibility—you know, being being aware of the difference and how you feel about it, and what you do about it—I
0: love that you touched on the uh, unnecessary sorries. A friend of mine calls it pathological accommodation. <laughs> And it's, it's kind of a British thing though. I don't know. If you know that, right? Sorry. It's kind of a, it's kind of a British thing too. You know, I mean, yeah. I've done it. We're, we're all guilty, but, uh, I've noticed that with some of my British friends in traveling there's, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, what's the guy you're all right. You know? So I'm glad you touched on that. And I also wanted to ask you, Kelly, I, it begs the curiosity. Did both the married guy, married guys approach you as a pair? As
2: a parent, no, it's two separate incidents.
0: Okay, that's how I was picturing like (laughs) two guys coming up to the bar. Hey, we're both married. You want to do the thing? (laughs) It's the way my mind works. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah.
0: I apologize unnecessarily. There I go. (laughs) So all four of you were talking about, I think, as a theme. You know, looking within and doing some deep work, right? Like, you know, in the theme of responsibility and self introspection, and it uh, got me thinking about this um, habit that many of us have had at different times of spiritual bypassing, right? Where we just, we just kind of jump right to the love and light level and sort of feign, you know, bliss, right? When underneath there's still all of these core wounds percolating and I've observed and probably done it maybe unknowingly that there's this other type of bypassing from that self-responsibility and that deep work and that is the outward facing activism, right? And I got to say, I think, I think the lefties are like a little more guilty of this, you know, the projection, right, of like wanting to change the people in the world and put a stop to what I believe based on my limited perception of what's wrong. Meanwhile, I can't even get along with my goddamn parents, right? It's, it, it's like uh, Ram Dass used to say, you know, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. And then you find out you find out really quick that you still have some work to do. So, you know, I don't know exactly what the question is. I just want to kind of tease this out. How do you think activism can be used as a way to uh, escape actually looking at yourself and, and focusing on fixing the world out there and stopping the wrongs and stopping the oppression? Meanwhile, you know, inside of us is this powder keg of unhealed trauma or issues or patterns.
1: You seem excited
0: by this, Kelly. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um, I call it the shadow of activism, and it really is a lot of what I've, you know, humbled myself um, around in the past two years. Because I think, I mean, I'm not going to generalize. I'll speak for myself. My activism, my decade of crusading against the pharmaceutical industry. Um, that began with publishing a New York times bestseller with an exploding pill on the cover. And I took out a $2 million life insurance policy and like literally took my fucking sword out of its sheath and like ripped my clothes off and was running on the battlefield. And I was like, I'm going to take these motherfuckers down by myself. And it was an energy that I brought that I thought was to benefit the world. Right. Like I thought I was going to like save every next woman from that prescription. um, And every next child from that shot. And I recognized that over many years that ultimately, and maybe this is true for all activists, I don't know, that my passion came from woundology, right, specifically, and that I was, you know, enacting a lot of my rage towards my parents uh, through this, this very adolescent, like tantrum that I was having about how things are and how I demanded things to be different. And I, you know, expected that the system would change. And that's why I call it like mommy medicine and daddy government from, for me, those were like the two parentified figures. And as much as I could concern myself with what I call the anonymous victim, right? So as an activist, you are necessarily concerned with people you don't know with anonymous victims out there that you have decided you are in a privileged and important position to help rescue. And it's really funny because I remember when, when shit went down in Maui, I was scrolling TikTok and I was seeing all these people talk about the truth, right? Like talk about what my colleagues and friends were talking about was going on there actually, right? And like the story behind the story and I was joking with my friends like, oh my God, everybody figured out what was happening and I didn't even need to tell them because <laughs> right? like, I didn't tell anybody. How did they find out? But that's part of the narcissism of activism is that you need to tell people, right? And that's where the victim consciousness of the rescuer, like everybody knows the triangle, right? Like the villain, the victim, and the rescuer. There's different terms, but, and when you are in your rescuer archetype of you know, victim pathology, you imagine that somebody cannot figure it out without your help. And what you're doing is actually reifying their disempowerment. You are confirming and affirming their incompetence, their inability to manifest their own truth, to find meaning in their struggle. They, you decide that they need your information and you're in this this dynamic of defiance with what not only like systems, but actually with what is, right? You're in passionate rejection. And that's where a lot of what I soon discovered was like erotic energy, right? Like literally, it's like this obsessive, like how many activists do you know, like they obsess about what who they hate is doing? right? Whether it's a Schwab or a Gates or whatever, like literally they're just waiting for the moment to respond to what they are doing. It's very intimate relationship that you develop. And so a lot of your life force energy gets locked up. So after, I think it was like around George Floyd time that I decided like to roll up my sleeves and, and focus on, myself, right? Like this war within and to recognize that every time I felt right about how wronged we were, or, you know, I was pointing a finger in blame that there was something I was condemning that I was already embodying. And even at the beginning of the pandemic, like I looked around, like, how am I being an authoritarian tyrant, right? Like, how am I that right now? And I found ways, I found ways. I mean, even in like, telling my daughters to like pick up shit in their room. When I imagine that I know better how somebody, including my own children, should be living their lives. I mean, at a certain age, I have teenagers, but like, it's not my business how literally anybody else lives their life. And I don't know better. I don't know better that a mother should not vaccinate her child. I actually don't know better, right? It's not my business And for me, that was like a massive transition. And what it unlocked was organizing and systematizing and harmonizing the relationships in my life. Major changes came from this work, right? Endings of marriages and endings of friendships and restored dynamic with my own parents. And I got to a place where I could die and I've said all the things to all the people. And I was never in that position when I was in my activist. I'm so glad you brought that up because, right, there's like the love and light, you know, spiritual bypass and the, all of these gurus, you know, shilling for the vaccine and then talking about, you know, how non-duality or whatever. But the activist shadow is, is I think, what we, we really need to start talking about because it's possible that we are participating in this grand, loose ritual through our fight right? Like through our, um, you know, Alec was talking about this, Th- through our participation in the partisan dynamics and the taking of sides and in the insisting that things should be different and follow me, I'll show you the way. Meanwhile, like, look at my life, right? You're like, should, should I really be telling you? So the um, the shadow of this impulse to imagine that we are any one of us in a position to tell anybody else how to be living their life when they didn't ask. Right. It's thing if somebody asks you for your perspective or opinion, but that's not what a lot of pundits like me, you know, have participated in. And I think that if we could look at that, we would find other creative ways to create, you know, that Bucky Fuller quote. It's like, you know, you don't fight the system. You create a new one that renders the existing one obsolete. We would find new creative ways to like claim our yes rather than fetishizing our no. All
0: right, let's talk about your skin for a minute. Maybe you've dialed your diet in, but you still have ill effects like acne scarring from when you were eating crappy food back in the day. Or maybe you've got some unsightly wrinkles and blemishes keeping you from feeling good about yourself and living your best life. Well, let me introduce you to the purest skin health company on earth. It's called Alatura Naturals. All the Alatura products are organic, contain zero fillers or preservatives. And I'm going to tell you how to keep your skin looking young, healthy, and vibrant in four easy steps. Step one, start with Alatura's Pearl Cleanser, made with freshwater pearl powder and healing tremella mushroom to gently wipe off dirt and oil without any harsh chemicals that dry out your skin. Step two, bring your skin cells alive with Alatura's meteorite scrub made with Moroccan meteorite powder. This actually encourages the growth of collagen, which is what makes your skin look good. Step three, use Alatura's gold serum to target oxidative damage and encourage rapid repair. Step number four, nourish your skin with a synergy of plant-derived stem cells, hyaluronic acid, and manuka honey. I'm talking about their night cream. This stuff reduces wrinkles and stimulates collagen growth while you sleep. So visit LukeStory.com slash Alatura. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A. LukeStory.com slash Alatura and use the code LIFESTYLIST to save 20% off all of their products. So if you want to look and feel your best, remember those four steps, cleanse, exfoliate, hydrate, and repair. And if you want to do it right, visit LukeStory.com slash Love it. You got anything, Robinson?
2: Uh, That was beautiful. Um, I would say that it's about intent. Why are you an activist? When people are in um, church, I ask them, why do you believe in God? Um, To me, there shouldn't be an an incentive of mansions and streets of gold. It shouldn't be a heaven as an incentive. You should want to do what's right because it's the right thing to do. So when we get to activism, why are you an activist? And the question is, most of the time, it's dealing with your own insecurities. So I believe that all activism is really just telling the system, no. It's simple. It's not all this yelling and screaming. No, we're not going to do it and go home. So we know it's something else when people are yelling and screaming and making signs like it's a game. It's just, it's all this theater. At the end of the day, you do what's right. To me, this um, confluence event, is better than any activism because it's proactive. Like you, people are creating alternate worlds than the one we see out there in the media and out through all this foolishness. So to me, activism is just a nice way to beg. You just It's just an elaborate, popular way to beg somebody for what? They're not going to do it. The system's not going to change. So what are you really doing? You're just getting your rocks off. You either want to be seen, you want to be heard, or you feel a certain way and you're upset. At the end of the day, I measure everything on intent. And so I realized that I can't want to do what's right for some kind of reward. I got to want to do what's right because it's the right thing to do, whether I get a reward or not, whether I get recognized. So guess what? And I tell people this all the time. You should want to do all this stuff on earth, even if you don't go to heaven, because the purpose of it is to do what's right on the earth. It's not about you going to heaven. It's about how you're going to impact lives. So to me, heaven is like the icing on the cake. You shouldn't even be focusing on that. And to me, most activism, like I said, is just an elaborate way to beg, and, and I just don't agree with it. But I'm not going to knock anybody that does it. I'm just going to simply say that intent matters. And to me, doing what's right, and like somebody said, creating an alternate, to me, if you create something that's opposed to the system, system can't exist.
0: Boom. <laughs> Love it. Either of you want to add to that? You two in the middle there?
4: Oh, okay. Thank you. As people may know, uh, the book that I co authored came out in Christmas 2019, just before the nonsense, as I call it. Um, So at the beginning, it was like, wow, we must get this information out to people. People need to know this. It's, you know, it's so important. And again, it's the save the world we've got to save people you know so that they know what's going on so that they don't do this and you know and it wasn't from a we know better it was just here's important information no, get it out get it out so again it's a really important point with intent the intent was to help people but again from what perspective because did we know better no we'd had information so over the past almost four years i've certainly changed my approach to talking to people from not exactly pushing the book just to say here's some information have a look at it see what you think allow people to be the adults that they are and to choose whether they want to look at it read it it's fine you know um you know, people say, Oh, I've got your book, I haven't read it. And I say, That's fine. It's you know, it's not like oh you should have read it. Is it it really is fine. It's not for me to say what people shouldn't shouldn't do. Again, with what Alex said about authority, is you know, if I when I was little I never liked being told what to do. So what right do I have to tell somebody what to do when I don't like it if they're doing it to me. So, you know, again, it's it's your intent, your approach. We're sharing information and each of you will take whatever the information that resonates, that feels, that is how you can use it. And it could be completely different. I think the idea is to spark ideas, spark creativity, not to say what to do or, or what not to do, um, because then that, suppresses creativity so it's to open people to say well here's some information and some people say well what about this and they they can add to the pool of information you know because that's what we are we're all individual to add our own piece of the puzzle even though we don't have a box cover we don't know what the picture is supposed to look like we know what it feels like that we are working towards which is you know freedom so if we want freedom, we have to allow others to be free to make their own choices. And that requires us to not tell people what to do. So again, it's that not got to kind of go out there and fight the man. It's just okay. Because if you are doing that, then you're putting it out there. And there may be something within you that you're, you may need to look at because you think you need to fight it. So again, it's just another aspect of what we think we're doing and it's sharing information and it's so much more empowering for everybody.
3: Thank you for that. Yeah. As we were all sharing and speaking to this, I just kept on, you know, kind of feeling within um, that truth, the hermetic principle of uh, as above, so below as within, so without. And from my orientation, being cells in the body of God, accepting that everything in the world right now is, is, you know, fucked up as it looks. It's actually the highest perfection in our co-creation. This is all of our co-creation. We all have a part in it. And when I accept that this is as the highest form of perfection that I get to experience right now, and it's going to change. It's we're, we're, this is perfection unfolding, you know. Uh, we get to grow through um, such a short span of time on this earth in this body, and so kind of zooming out helps me um, recognize that everybody's doing the best they can. Um, even activism serves its purpose for that person at that time. They had to move that energy, right? You had to go through um, your war against pharma. You had to go through that process to get to where you are now. And so I don't, you know, demonize it or, or look at it as a negative so much. Um, it's just energy trying to shift energy. And even if it's fruitless in the end, um, it serves perhaps that individual's purpose of, of expressing and moving the energy and coming to that realization that, hey, it's actually an inside job. I got to come back to me. I got to take responsibility for my life. And so, yeah, I think it's a fundamental reorientation um, and just acceptance. Like, this is what it is. And this is fucking great. We get to be here right now. And even though in other parts of the world, you know, there's there's a lot of intensity, a lot of conflict, it's always been like that. It's always been like that. And so for me, it was shedding the idea that we need to achieve this utopian world to be fulfilled and to feel like, oh, okay, now I can relax and, and and be happy. No. Like I get to be happy now. I get to cultivate peace now. And I get to take responsibility to alchemize my own shadows instead of projecting them out into the world and saying, look at all those that are wrong. Other, right? It's all us. There is no other. At the, at the end of the day, there is no other. And that, like, that's the deepest truth that you know. These these teachers, like Yeshua, came to show, you know, that this is all a part of God. This all gets to be here because we have that free will. And when we honor each person's free will to do what they will, we can more clearly know what our responsibility is in this time, in this place. And from that place of of inner stillness, from that place of inner clarity. We can create something beautiful like like we're all doing right now. We're all co-creating this experience. And so I think that activism has its place in, in people's evolution. And sometimes we need a boogeyman or a demon or a devil to, to push against so that we can grow and realize that we get to love that too. Right on.
0: There's a quote that I can never remember exactly, but it's uh, from Ramana Maharshi, and he said something to the effect of, don't bother trying to change the world because the world that you see doesn't even exist, right? Because we each lens our experience through our unique perception, right? So that's why you could go to someone who is... Opposed to your worldview, right? And and they're as sure about their worldview as you are about yours, simply because the world they see is based on the projection of their consciousness. You know, and that is such a powerful principle for me, because I think I know what's right for the world all the time, you know, because I see the world as me, right? And the other piece of that, I think, you know, in terms of the activism part is, It seems that the great change makers in history achieved more change outwardly by who they were or who they became, by what they said or did, right? And that's, it's just a really nuanced principle of activism. It's just in one's, if you seek peace in the world and what you see is conflict, we're tempted to get into conflict to overcome the conflict right? It's like, why fight fighters? We saw that in 2016. We hate the bigots. We hate the people that hate people. It's so futile. You know? it's, like, it is, it's hard to reconcile though, isn't it? Just, oh, so I just meditate and then I get the world I want? Yeah, kind of, right? Because your perception of it changes. So it's, it's really fascinating. Um, this brings me actually to another question about perception. I think many of us have had the experience wherein uh let's take the um, you know the nail in the tire okay and we we go to the store we park we come out we got a flat tire and then uh, on the route which we were going to use to get home there was a pile up and a bunch of people were injured and a couple people were killed and we go oh my god thank god i got the nail in my tire right and it, it's it's fairly immediate and we have these things all the time there's something that we want there's a promotion, we didn't get it, and then a better one comes along, that kind of thing, right? So I think it's it's pretty easy to see the less significant moments, but much more difficult to look in the long term of the human hu- humanity's experience, right? Like, is there a positive outcome of World War II? Well, we haven't had a world war since then, right? But if you're in the middle of World War II, you'd sound like a crazy person. You oh, know, it's all good. It's all happening for a reason. It'll get better, you know? So... And I think some of you have covered this, but, you know, how do we extend that wisdom out of the immediacy of the moment into the humility of knowing like, hey, man, we're just along for the ride. And, and, you know, in the course of the past few years, maybe just maybe the pandemic was the best thing that ever happened for us. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Doesn't seem like it to me. People I know have died and not from a fake virus but from the imposed solution to said big virus. So I don't know if there's a question in there. If anyone wants to riff, if you're inspired, do your thing. I love to talk. I love to
1: talk. Um, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you know the Chin- that Chinese proverb. I have like a massive enduring crush on Alan Watts. And he reads this Chinese proverb about like the farmer. Yeah, right? And... It's essentially about what I refer to as the maybe principle, right? Where it's like this, this shitty thing happens and it turns out to be like the best thing ever, right? And then the best thing ever happens and it turns out to be really shitty and holding that curiosity. And that that's why emotional mastery, it's like, it's, it's the only imperative, right? For us to develop emotional mastery and to learn how to be with ourselves when we are feeling the things so that you can witness your experience, you can grow that consciousness, that awareness, and that self with a capital S can start to organize the parts of you that are acting up. And you're not going to blend with any given one of them. You are going to take wise, inspired action, right? That's why like, yeah, you meditate, change the world kind of a thing because you can feel inside of yourself what it is that is the next best expression of your you-ness. And you can't do that when you get lost in the tornado of your feeling states. Um, and I, I think that's true for all of us, but I think it's, we were talking about this yesterday, like especially true for men. There's nothing that makes me feel less safe in the world as a woman than a hysterical man. You know, a man who doesn't have a spine, who cannot be with his inner feeling state, who, de- who hasn't developed a practice Of self-regulation. And we all require this, trust me, because the man in each of us is responsible for that, the masculine in each of us. But that opportunity to reflect with curiosity in the moment is, it's like a psychobiological phenomenon. You have to have the somatic integrity to be able to reflect in that way. Right. And sometimes it, it requires starting with like lifestyle and eating the right things. Right. And, and detoxing and going to bed at 9 p.m. for you to develop the, the capacity to hold yourself. But when you can, then you can find meaning almost immediately. And it's like a game. Right. Like, so I have Gen Z kids and I'm learning. I was saying to you like yesterday, I'm learning a whole new dialect. Like I'm trying to keep up and trying to be cool really hard. And there's, like, a whole, like, I study, like, and I try to practice how to say, like, he's really uptight. Like, they'll be like, he's giving uptight. Did you know that? That's how they talk. I did not know that, but now I do. (laughs) It's not even vibes. You don't say vibes anymore. You just say straight to the adjective. Okay. So I'm learning a whole thing, right? And one of the things that is in their vernacular is it's like, you know, you do it for the plot. Have you guys heard that? Oh my God, see, we're all out of touch. This is a problem. (laughs) We need to stay. They're so creative. Like this generation, I just, they get it. They get it. They get it. They literally get everything we're talking about that we're so excited we figured out and like 40 fucking five. They get it already at like 10. And it's really amazing to witness. Anyway, so they, they say this phrase called like do it for the plot. And it essentially means... Like, it's like dissolving the meritocracy. Like, it's not for the A-plus on life. Like, it's not so you, like, get your shit on lock. It's so that you have an interesting life with, like, an amazing story, right? And you're going to just, like, love it for the story. You're going to do it for the plot. Like, should I take the job? I don't know. Do it for the plot, right? It takes all the pressure off of it and all of that, like, good girl, uh, speak for myself, like, good girl phenomenology of, like... Oh, I hope this is consistent with my most attractive and, you know, admirable self and I hope nobody sees my like shitty losery self, you know. So it's it's um it's happening, you know? It's happening in the Zeitgeist right now that people are understanding that there is there's a lightness we can bring and it's not a bypass. It's it's that complementarity of being in the shit, being with it, having the capacity to hold it. And also finding, you know, that little glimmer um, that you can, you can begin to delight in. Yeah. All
0: right, ladies and gents, we have got a little problem here. It's at the root of nearly everything that makes life crappy, sleep loss, low energy, dissatisfaction, irritability, illness, and so on. It's also a key contributor to heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, autoimmune disease, anxiety and depression, and much more. You know what I'm talking about? Stress. Here are a few of the latest brutal stats. Two out of three people report feeling extreme stress. More than 80% of people say stress is affecting their physical health, 73% believe stress is impacting their mental health, and well over half of us have trouble sleeping due to stress. Now, I'm not going to tell you that exercise, meditation, and eating right aren't important. Of course they are. But to really beat stress, sometimes we need a little boost. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed, which sadly is a lot of the time because I take on too much, my go-to is called Just Calm from Just Thrive Health. It helps me manage everyday stress fast, gives me a steady and balanced mood, and it even helps me get better sleep, especially when I take it right before bed. And multiple studies show that it sharpens focus and alertness too, in as little as four weeks. So cruise on over to justthrivehealth.com, dial in the code LUKE for 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Calm. That's essentially a month's supply for free, just for you listeners. And while you're over there, take a peek at their next level gut support too. Putting together Just Calm with their Just Thrive probiotics is the ultimate recipe for feeling cool, collected, and in control. Again, that's justthrivehealth.com, and use the code Luke for twenty off.
3: We become, you know, human diamonds through the pressure that we face. That we're able to push up against all these forces that seem hell bent on destroying us and having us believe that we are weak, and powerless, and nothing. And it's that paradox of being able to walk that line to know that on one hand, we are nothing, and on the the other hand, we're everything. And so coming to a point where we can recognize that if we can find the courage, the courage to face what is and accept what is, then we can find the inspiration to bring forward nourishment, inspiration, love for those around us. And that really does create that ripple effect that, that goes on forever. And so we have a choice as co-creators of what we want to purvey into the world. And so when we see mass media you know, selling a narrative and we know that that's a lie, right? Or it's, it's, it's a partial truth. For me, it's like I haven't really fed into the whole, you know, Palestine-Israeli situation really at all, minimally. I haven't named it because I feel like there's a lot of doing out there. You know, there's a lot of reactivity. And so the best thing I can do right now is to spread love in my sphere of influence and to really show up extra to be a compassionate space of listening, of holding, of of invitation you know if people are feeling heavy because of what's happening out with thousands of miles away and I get it you know there's people that are dying and that are hurting accepting that difficult circumstances in our life actually help us alchemize the lead into gold it's this alchemy that we're a part of 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 transforming the soul that we are into something more and just using our will our free will to to choose to take in that that shit that garbage that death that darkness and fertilize it compost it and and to bring light out you know what a gift to be able to do that but we can't do that if we're not resourced and so I feel like it's it's so important for us to recognize that we really can't metabolize it all on our own that we do need our creator we need God in our heart. We need to be in like, I'm in my prayer every day, every day. And it's not just like, oh, I have my morning meditation. Like I'm praying throughout the day, you know, when I snap back into it, you know, I'm like my mind just going astray and I'm like, oh, come back to God, come back to my breath, come back to center, resource myself, connect to that light. And then I'm more able to be open to beautiful moments and synchronicities. Like I was at this table earlier, I was just sitting and um, Yachty was there and um, we, were sharing, we just started sharing about death and, and life and, and farming. And it just all connected in this beautiful way. And so simply allowing ourselves um, the space to grieve, I cried. I was crying right there. He was crying. We were all crying. And it was like in that moment, we were just kindred spirits sharing our hearts. And we, I left feeling whole more. I felt, I felt even more whole. And so, yeah, I'm um, recognizing that really difficult circumstances out there and really tough challenges actually allow us to rise up to meet it and become more, to become more resilient, to become more loving. And so when things are going really bad out there, what's, what's underlying all of it is there's a, there's a whole lot of good that's going to emerge. And so you can trust that, hey, it looks really dark and bleak out there. And that's a really good sign. It's a really good sign. And to, to be willing to be a part of that goodness that's emerging, that's being birthed in all of our hearts throughout the world. There's a wave of love and beautiful creativity and power coming through. And I'm like, I think this is a gener- generations. This is going to take time. You know, I might not live to see the golden age, but maybe my children's children will. And I'm here for that.
4: Nice. Oh tough act to follow. The um starting from where you were saying, Luke, about you know, meditate and feel okay and then you know, not to be worried about what's going on there. Yes, this reality is also somewhere where we take action. So it's aligning your actions with how you feel. So <clears throat> to a certain extent, this COVID nonsense has been I don't good I don't know if that's the right word because obviously with your experience how you've just reflected back it, there has been pain there has been suffering so to say it's good it's not like oh it's good and everything about it is good what it has done is it has created an opportunity for us to really ramp up ramp up our learning and our ability to say no, 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 we've been complacent for too long. Time to really just shift how we see things, learn how to do things differently. So from that perspective, it's good. It's not the everything about it is good. And in the same way as what's going on in the Middle East, that's not good. There will be something good that we can learn from that situation. So it's not like it's all good in that context of how we say oh well it's been good it has allowed us to take the next step in exponentially and I don't think this would exist in fact I'm sure this wouldn't have existed had it not been for the COVID nonsense so this is good. This is a good outcome from that. And we're still working our way. It's all about, te- you know, it's not there's a, oh, that's okay. This has happened. It's good. End of story. It's a, it's a journey. And we're always developing our learning, our understanding, and seeing what we can do here. And that's the point of seeing what we can do and to not be limited, not to feel oh there's something bad happened oh you know it's something else and oh what can we do it's not it can feel like a roller coaster it's always to remember that even though you dip down there's always that pull back up again and to to really connect with each other and know that we can help each other back up the other side it's you know we might get rocked around and it's not to be oh good, bad, maybe good's not the right word, I don't know maybe it's 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 been um useful, even that maybe not the right word again, we're struggling to find words for things that we don't necessarily have the language for, so it's to see what what we can do with it, what action we can take, how we can really develop ourselves here in this in this physical reality as human beings and knowing that we have the capability, the ability, that's what's, that's the good that's come out of it, that we know we're learning who we are, what we are and what we can do here. Our purpose here, we can really, and we're really developing that. And I think that's expanding exponentially, really, really is moving. So that's the good that is coming out of it. It's not an end. It's,
2: how I see it
0: beautiful take us home Robinson
2: oh, I guess the question is is God trying to punish us or is God trying to make us better and I believe that everything that we go through if God is truly controlling all of this then everything that's happening is to make us better if you think about it what gives a person the most fulfillment in life if you ask anybody what gives them the most fulfillment, I guarantee it's something outside of themselves for someone else. But guess what? That's God's design. So if that's God's design for us to be able to reach out to each other, then everything that's happening is to make us better to be able to do that. Because it's a, it's a, it's a great task, especially in this time that we're in right now with all of this propaganda, all these distractions. To me, the best thing to happen to the world, it's going to sound crazy, is this whole COVID thing. And I say that because it's like God opened up the seal of truth and let it out. Everybody had a chance to see everything. Now everybody can make a decision on how they want to proceed forward. Nobody can say they didn't know. Nobody can say they were duped. Everybody knows what's going on now. And to me, now you can actually see the true believers, the people that actually care, the people that actually are loving, the people that actually are good, We now can see them before it was a facade. Now we actually know the people that really care, the people that really want to do God's work. We know it now because guess what? It's something at stake now. The tiger has some teeth. So now when we go out there, we want to help people. It comes at a cost. You might lose family. You might lose friends. You might lose your job. But to me, it's beautiful because now for the first time in my life, I get to prove what God's been pushing me to do this whole time. And that is to actually live out my purpose. So to me, it's a beautiful thing. and so I look at all my experiences now as ways to make me better to do God's will.
0: What a, what a beautiful note to you know end this portion of the evening on. Um, thank you all for sharing. It reminds me of, um, I always say it's my favorite quote, and then there's another one that I say it's my favorite quote. So one of my favorite quotes by Shakespeare uh, that I think I picked up in a book called Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox, a really beautiful uh, book on metaphysics based on the teachings of Jesus. And the quote that he um, shares in there is that there is no such thing as good or bad, only thinking makes it so. And that's so good. The ego hates that, though. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, that's, that's, that's a tough one for some of us to surrender into. And, um, and I also love, Kelly, as you mentioned, the Taoist parable about the farmer. And I try to say it all the time, and I forget parts of it, so I won't, but I'll close my portion of this uh, with my own Taoist farmer parable. Um, speaking of things in hindsight, where you thought it was good or bad, and you had some judgment based on your perspective at that particular time stamp in your experience. Back in the uh, mid 90s, I found myself um, terribly addicted to drugs and alcohol and was just in a really, really dark place, as we often are in that position. I was at a party one night trying to party, drunk off my ass, high as hell trying to numb the pain of being in my skin. And uh, I was at my drug dealer's house, and he had two big Rottweilers. And I'm normally pretty cautious around dogs, because I had an adversarial relationship with dogs as a kid. They always bit the shit out of me. But I was drunk, so therefore much more unconscious. And I was on the floor, and one of his big Rottweilers was next to me. And I went like this and started patting him on the butt, you know. And he didn't like that one bit and he whipped around and bit me right on the face. I still have scars right here from from the chomp mark. You know, go to the doctor, get sewn up, emergency room, the whole thing. So would anyone in the room argue that that was a bad bad event, right? That's horrible. God, who would want that? Well, a couple weeks later, my dealer, being a kind-hearted guy that he was, calls me and says, hey man, uh, I found out I have renter's insurance and it covers dog bites. So I want you to go get a lawyer and sue us, and get some cash out of this. I thought, oh, shit. Okay. I even know that existed. So I proceed to get a lawyer. We go to you know litigation, whatever it was, and uh, I was awarded. You know, I made this case that like, well, I'm kind of a model and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> And I don't think they really bought that part of it. But, you know, there was pain and suffering involved. So they awarded me $7,500, $7,500, which to me was like $750,000 because I'm scraping together $4 every night for a rock of crack. You know, I mean, it was like, that was a lot of money. I'm just going to keep it real, by the way, in case you didn't notice. (laughs) So I get this $7,500 and proceeded to, you know, the timeline's. Tough, But probably in about two months, proceeded to spend all but $1,500 of it on heroin, which was my, uh, my poison of choice at the moment. So that's pretty bad, right? We say, man, the dog bite was bad. Getting the money was good. Spending all the money on heroin was not only bad, but also really stupid. <laughs> and when I got to the end of that, uh, that funding, I found myself so terribly strung out and so destitute that I finally, after decades of drug abuse, surrendered to the fact that I needed help and that I didn't have within me the capacity to help myself. So I made a phone call. And uh, (laughs) I can never tell this story without crying. But it's really pertinent to the point at hand. I made a phone call to my mom, and she promptly got me checked into a treatment center. And uh, I did what I was told, and the first thing I was told was that you need to, A, we're not going to give you any meds, which was my first (laughs) go-to. Like, give me some Dilaudid or something. And they took my vitals and said, no, you don't qualify for medication, but what we have for you is this thing called prayer. Like prayer, delotted, not really, you know, gonna give me the same effect that I'm looking for, but they they would not concede, and so I indeed went to my room and all I did was pray my ass off. And I never really prayed in my life. I've never been to church. I didn't even know what it how you did it. I maybe saw it on TV, so I kneeled at my bed with my hands like this and thought, I guess this is what it looks like. And I just asked a God that I didn't believe in to or even believe existed to give me salvation. And from that moment, almost 27 years later, until this moment now, I have never once had a craving or an inkling or an idea to put into my body any substances that were problematic for me. Anyway. And... Um, Glory be to God. 99.999% of the credit goes to God, you know, uh, and the 00001% the goes to me just finally, you know, submitting myself and my grandiose ego that I needed help and that it didn't seem like any human power was capable of that. And I tell that story because it's, it's so crucial to this point, right, of our perception and, and where we see the events in the world and in our, in our immediate lives. Based on where we are in the timeline, so the night that I'm dripping blood off my face because a Rottweiler tried to eat me for dinner, uh, it would have been very difficult for you to convince me that this is going to serve your highest good. Eventually, just hang in there, you know. And looking back, I thank that fucking dog all the time, and I I thank my (laughs) my own stupidity for smacking it on the ass. You know, who knows? Maybe I knew. Maybe I needed to be put down, you know. So um, I encourage all of you to really, you know, really pay attention to that last bit. It's so transformative, not only with what we have going on in the world, but our interpersonal lives, you know, to just stay in the curiosity. Maybe, maybe not. Is it good? Is it bad? We shall see, right? Which is kind of the point of that parable. It's a maybe. Everything's a maybe. Do I really know? No, I don't. I really don't know what's good for me good for the world and to surrender that um you know egoic perspective that things should be some way other than they are and maybe things everything is exactly the way it is meant to be right now we shall see so thank you guys for your kind attention
1: a way to end our time together here in this space. Thank you, Luke, again for being here, for hosting this conversation. Thank you to our panelists. You're all wonderful. We appreciate you so much. One more round of applause, please. Thank you. And Our time has come so close to an end, but Ryland and Mike have been working so hard to make the fire perfect for us and just the right amount of chairs around it. So I'm gonna ask you to please just stand up from here, walk out to the fire so Ryland can uh, ceremonially say goodbye to this wonderful weekend and then we'll have a little bit of music. Thank you guys.